It's time for some cheap talk. Welcome back to Cheap Talk. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts today, and today, as usual, I am joined by Brian Cramp. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gents. Today we have a treat. We're going to talk about one of our favorite new performers in the world of music, someone that does good quality rock and roll, one of the last true rock stars that are out there. This gentleman's name who's sitting across the aisle from us is Tuck Smith. He's formerly of the Biters, currently of Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, and welcome to Cheap Talk, sir. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me, buddy. Appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. How are you doing, buddy? Good, friend. How are you? I'm okay. Can't complain. Yeah, just up here, micing up a bunch of amps and recording, like usual. Now, my friend Brian, who's the other voice here. What's up, Brian? Hey, Tuck. (laughs) He's actually the guy who turned me on to you. Cool. Thanks, buddy. We were doing an episode of Cheap Talk, our Cheap Trick podcast, and he said, have you heard of the Biters? And he turned me on to you guys, and I went out and bought, like, everything that you did. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, Tuck, I saw the Biters in Milwaukee. You know, before the Earache albums, and it was at a small club, like in a back room. And I swear, it's one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. You, the band was so tight, and I love the songs Thanks. so much. It was amazing. Even with the uh, imbecilic punk guy who was spitting beer on everyone, it was oh, still one of the yeah. best shows ever. <laughs> yeah, that was like Cactus Clubbers. I remember that show. Right. The bass yeah. player in the mouth, and he got mad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me and my friend just stood against the wall and tried to keep out of the spray. But yeah, such a great show. Such a great band. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. When we were locked in, there was definitely some magic going on at certain points. Oh, it was magic for sure. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. So good to have you here. We met up at the Nashville Rockin' Pod. I was sitting there looking at you going, God, that guy looks like Tuck Smith. And there you were. That was you. (laughs) Yeah, I was uh, hanging out with Ricky in Nashville, mm-hmm. actually trying to put a band together, and he was doing that and said, why don't you just come along and hang out? So A lot of the podcasters that were there were thrilled to see you, and a lot of people love your work, love your music, and love your former band and are looking forward to what you got coming up. You've you've had an interesting run in this music business, would you say? Yeah, it's been... Uh, not glamorous at all to say the least but it's been real i'll say that mm-hmm. and for people who may not know who you are you were you were basically the main creative force behind a band called the biters right yep yep for nine years and you put out some fantastic great music that to me sounds like it came from possibly the 70s sometimes the 80s but it had that old school rock and roll feel to it, right? Yeah, because I'm in love with uh, old school rock and roll. I'm obsessed with it. So it, it, power pop and 70s glam, 70s punk, hard rock, all that stuff. So uh, I don't know, man. It just That's what I listen to. That's what I uh, put in my brain. And that's what comes out when I write. Who are some of your influences? Let's, let's take a look back at some of your influences from the 70s. Uh Long story short, when I was a, a teenager, I grew up in a really, really small town, very religiously oppressive. The average income was probably $20,000. So I came from a very poor place in South Georgia, um, homophobic, racist, all, all the typical, stereotypical stuff. Uh, so I completely rebelled against that 100% and got into punk rock. Mm. Anything uh, politically offensive, anything human rights, anything like that to try to kind of be the opposite of what was going on around me. Anything to rebel. So I got into hardcore punk and, uh, you know, you're so eager to get into stuff when you're younger. You start digging and then you go, wow, this band with a bunch of Mohawks really liked the Buzzcocks. And you go, who are the Buzzcocks? And then you get into Generation X and you get in to a bunch of that kind of 70s punk stuff. And then, you know, I got heavily into bands like The Clash. And I, I loved Mick Jones. And I say this all the time. You read about Mick Jones and he loved Mott the Hoople. And then mm-hmm. I got into Mott the Hoople. And then I just, you know, you discover New York Dolls um, and the golden era Alice Cooper. And I kind of f- completely fell in love with that. And I think I 
gravitated more towards the 70s power pop rock and roll stuff. Um, that's where I really fell in love with because I love the element of big rock riffs and energy, but I also love melodies and hooks and stuff like that. And I also ended up getting to a really, really deep into 70s glam and glitter rock. And that consumed me for more than a few years digging. That's a genre that uh, has not been written about like the punk movement has or the British invasion movement. But it, there were thousands and thousands of bands in the early 70s all over Europe uh, doing glam rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of great stuff. I'd like to play a song right now for our listeners. This is from your former band, The Biters, and this has everything you're talking about, the, the big hooks, the big sound, the big guitar. It's 1975. Let's listen to some of that right now. I want to lose my mind. I want to rock and roll all night. Like it's 1975. When all the kids were cool and breaking. That's a sample of what you can get if you are looking for some great current rock and roll that sounds like the stuff that you've loved all your life. Tuck Smith is the man to bring it to you. That was The Biters with 1975. So Tuck, at this point, you're on your own. You have started a new band called Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. Can you tell us all about that? As far as how I got to where I am solo now, it was a really kind of long, complex story. So we'll just hit on the main points. When I started Biters, I really didn't have any goals other than maybe put a seven inch out. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't know what I was going to do with it. It was just a labor of love. And where I come from, you're taught not to have a lot of goals. So to me, just maybe put a couple seven inches out and do something 
that I was proud of uh, is kind of where it started. My previous band before that, a lot of drugs, deaths, ODs, heroin, rehab, that kind of stuff was involved. So I was trying to really get a fresh start. Um, and, you know, people really took to that first EP that I did with Biters. Um, and that was the first time I was taking on full songwriting capabilities, I think. Um, so it was a big risk for me and a big deal. And uh, we were all very young and we just started touring. We didn't give a fuck. I just got in the van and we started playing every dive bar up the East Coast, then every dive bar in the Midwest. Then we started going out West. And before you know it, we started with no label and no help, started landing like Ace Freely tours, mm-hmm. landing social distortion tours. And uh, just from like underground buzz, we did a bunch of things and ended up going to Europe. And as it grew, the stress and pressure got higher. I lost a lot of members. It's a really hard lifestyle to kind of do that in this day and age. Mm-hmm. You don't really make any money. It's very rough. All the vices that come along with it to cope with the no sleep and being broke uh, can affect you. So there were some great times. There were some low points. What I did is I learned a shit ton about life, about the industry. When I started touring overseas, I really realized how big the world was and how I've been isolated in my own little bubble of a scene. And once I saw that, I decided I really wanted to try to take the biters to the next level. Mm. But right before that, we were in the studio recording four or five songs that were going to self-release. And I was going to break the biters up after that because we just couldn't get a label. We were stuck. We had hit our roof and it was too hard. While we were in the studio recording four or five songs, a label got in touch with this Eric Records and wanted to sign us. When we signed to Eric Records... It completely revitalized everything and pumped new energy. And we put a couple records out. We toured so fucking hard, did a bunch of great stuff. Um, and financially, label problems, intertormoral with the band and several things. I just had to, to bring that band to an end. And it was like being in a relationship, like a marriage that you wanted to work so bad. And you did everything. You went to marriage. And at the end of the day, it was just better for you to split up. So... I still love those guys and talk to them all the time. Mm-hmm. Matt from Biters has a new band that I just produced a couple months ago, their record. And I still talk to Joey, so we're on good terms. But, um, you know, I was kind of forced. There was multiple reasons why the Biters had to disband. And so I decided uh, I needed to just be completely in control of my own fate. So I just went solo and I did a record. And then after I did the record uh, and got a record deal, I put a band together. Um, and that's how I got there very quickly. Mm-hmm. And the new project is Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, and you've got two singles out right now. You've got a forthcoming album called Looking for Love, Ready for War, right? Yep, correct. And what can you tell us about this track? Uh, that was the first song I wrote for this record, so um, I don't know. It's just a straightforward fucking jam dude it's got a really big hook a a caveman guitar riff um i just think it's really straightforward it's a good introductory to the record Mm -hmm. well let's play some of that right now this is off of the forthcoming album looking for love ready for war you can get this on amazon itunes spotify wherever music can be downloaded or purchased and check it out it is tuck smith and restless hearts with looking for love ready for war
Buck Smith and Restless Hearts with Looking for Love, Ready for War. Fantastic track, Tuck. Thank you. Now let's talk about who makes up the Restless Hearts, right? Yep. This is such a, a cool name. And, and I know that Restless Hearts was something that you've kind of played with for a long time. There, You had a song with the Biters called Restless Heart, right? And uh, And now it's become part of this project how did you come to this name and who makes up the restless hearts so when i was trying to pick uh, a name or a moniker for be going solo i thought about it a lot and i thought about doing stage names and i just felt so contrived and cheesy and my really goal is just try to be as authentic as possible if you like me you don't i just you know, my goal is to say I really believe in what I'm doing, and it's real. It's it's not a gimmick. So, as much as I think my last name is some basic ass last name, it is my last name, and it's real. Mm-hmm. So, I always wanted to have, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band, Bob Seger in the Silver Bullet Band, Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers, right? Of course, yeah. Johnny Thunder's in the Heartbreakers. Um, you know, uh, George Thorogood in Destroyers. It goes on and on. So, it was just the next step. Um, what I, I do want to have a camaraderie of a band and I want to have, you know, a unit cause I believe it's better than having hired guns, which I couldn't afford anyways. So had, dude, I probably had a hundred names and just the restless hearts felt so good. It felt like the music and it felt like the project. And it was also a nod to my previous, where I came from. So you have to remember your past. So it just felt natural and real. So that's kind of why I picked it. It felt classic too. I'm headed out the door, I told you, liquor store I got no money in my pocket, but I want more The tears well through bloodshot eyes I wanna live it up while I chase this high When I hit the streets, it's gonna be out of sight My restless heart won't Why don't you introduce the guys? Uh, tell us a, a little bit about each one of the Restless Hearts. Well, the Biters were doing a bunch of touring, and the bass player we had with us in Biters, for some unknown reason, he just bailed on us three weeks before a tour and left me in a, in a really big jam. And so I was really scrambling to kind of find a bass player for numerous tours. And uh, my buddy Ricky, which I've known for a while, uh, He's been in several other bands. Uh, he, he lives in Nashville and he knows a lot of musicians. And I said, hey, man, I just got fucking uh, bailed on by my bass player. I need somebody to play bass and biters for a bunch of tours coming up. Do you know anybody? I'm like, Ricky, you know a lot of people in Nashville. He goes, yeah, man, I'll definitely ask around for you. Well, 20 minutes later, Ricky called and goes, hey, man, um, you know, I was thinking about actually I've been playing a lot of bass lately, so I'd be down for it. And it was so funny because if you know Ricky, he's like a a, a shredder guitar player. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put Ricky through boot camp for a couple months and got him ready for Biters. And he was in Biters for um, the last year of the band, I think. And I really enjoyed his attitude on tour. He didn't complain a lot. And uh, he was just down for it. And he, he wasn't jaded. He was still like really excited to be touring. And uh, so when I did this record, I put together a studio band in LA, but I invited Ricky to come play guitar on it. And it was a big challenge for him. And he really, really killed it. Like he, he rose to the occasion and, and some of the guitar stuff on this album is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I can play the fuck out of a guitar, but Ricky is a different animal. So mm-hmm. Ricky Dover Jr. For people that, that may not know him, he's a fantastic guitar player because he really has that Jimmy Page swagger to him you know what i mean of course 
and he's such a sweet guy, but it, it, it's almost like if you took Jimmy Page from 1972 and stretched him because he's so damn tall and thin. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> he's, I mean, he's like probably 6'3", 150 pounds, but let me tell you, he's built to play guitar. He's built to play guitar, and he's a really nice guy. All heart. And um, I've played with a lot of people, and where I come from, uh, my punk rock scene and the stuff people are, are, are really fucked up all the time. And Ricky kind of has his shit together more. And that was, uh, attractive to me and he looks great and he plays great and he wanted to be there. And I'm like, it's just a no brainer. Mm-hmm. So then who's on base? Base is a guy named Shane Rickerson. And I, uh, met him working in a clothing shop in Nashville uh, a little over a year ago. Um, he moved there from California. I'd never met him or known him. And, uh, we tried a couple bass players out and he specifically played bass. He had went to like music school. So anything I threw at him, he got automatically and, uh, he just fit right in. He was a nice guy. His personality fit really well and dynamic. Uh, he's kind of quiet and laid back and he's a great musician. He's just, he's a good guy. I like him. He's very green though. So I've been breaking him in like crazy. Well, then this leaves the drummer. Who do we got on the skins? Nigel Dupree. I call him my vice president. He's a great, amazing drummer. He's probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I'm very blessed to have met him. I was looking for a drummer. I could not find one. It was so hard putting this band together, man. And uh, one day I was introduced to him by a mutual friend. And uh, my guy's like, dude, he plays drums. And I met him a little over a year ago too as well. And we started jamming together. And I was like, where the fuck did you come from? And he'd been playing in a bunch of like kind of Midwestern style bands that I have no clue about, but he is 100% gung ho. So my band new band is some of the great rock and roll musicians, great attitudes, great people. So I just feel like, uh, I really kind of got lucky with this new lineup. And speaking of luck, you've got this new CD that's going to come out when the world opens back up, and there's going to be this huge tour that you're part of. Can you tell us about that tour? Because you're touring with some of the biggest names in rock. Yeah. You know what, man? Like, I try to stay positive and keep moving forward as much as possible. And I do feel kind of like I was completely robbed of my year and all my momentum, such as other people. And I, this virus has been affecting everybody. So it's not woe is me. I know it's been hard for everybody. But at the end of the day, I've worked so fucking hard to jump from biters, what I did there, to, to doing this record and starting over so quickly within 18 months and then landing one of the biggest tours of the last decade was an honor. And now that is going to be postponed. And my album's going to be postponed. And it just, it was, it's, it's shattering, man. It's so fucking heartbreaking, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I just have to adapt, stay positive and, you know, just try to keep busy. And, you know, a guy like me getting a tour like that is probably one in a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the rock community, you know, as well as I do, uh, especially the older guys are just trolls on the fucking internet and mm-hmm. I just love to see the look on their faces when somebody like me got the tour because they wanted Striper or Night Ranger or Rat or whoever. <laughs> but the idea is that there are no really new rock and roll acts coming up, newer or, or current or, or, or people that are younger, not part of the Heritage Acts, that are going to be able to fill arenas. These Heritage Acts, these guys are getting up in age. They're going to be retiring soon. There's nobody to mm-hmm. step into the place. The community is not supporting rock and roll like it used to. Labels aren't supporting rock and roll. Radio isn't supporting rock and roll. Spotify has been just a fucking disaster for me. They just, mm-hmm. nobody will support this style of music because it's not trendy. So when Live Nation stepped up and when uh, Motley Crue and Def Leppard agreed for me to be on the tour, it, uh, it felt so good. It felt like I had a cause and a, a crusade you know, to be on the front lines and uh, mm-hmm. I'm still on that tour when it gets rescheduled and I'm going to do my goddamn best to uh, live up to the expectation. It really is an amazing bill. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett and Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts going to be hits, great music from the first chord struck to the last. It's going to be fantastic. Ken, I, I want to just clarify this too. 
I've never bought onto a tour in my life and I never would. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not my style. I, so a lot of people, there's a rumor, you know, the bands, uh, Def Leppard and Motley Crue listened to the record and they signed off on it. They agreed to have me. I'm not a buy on band. That's impressive. So good things can happen to good people if they work really hard. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to bring up with Tuck was uh, when I watch his live streams, all I'm looking at is his record collection over there. <laughs> and, That's uh, only a little bit. That's yeah, I know. Well, you always keep those Silverhead records on the front. <laughs> I noticed. You got well, both. that little display case or like my yeah. main, like my loves. And so I, I look at that every day to try to be inspired. Yeah. When you guys were talking about Ricky, uh, when we were at the Rocket Pot Expo, Ricky bought that Blue For You record by Status Quo, and I was wondering if that was the copy that you had sitting there, <laughs> if he gave no, it to I, you. No, I told oh, Ricky okay. to buy that. I told Ricky yeah. to buy that. Yeah. Oh, I was raving about it when I saw him with it, because I love that record. Holy oh, shit. Great. Yeah. But I, I toured Europe a lot with Biters, and what people don't know is uh, in Europe, Status Quo were like big as the fucking Eagles or something. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. They're huge over there. Yeah. Well, they're amazing, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that it's crazy how nobody knows them in the states, but the, they're they were massively huge. Yeah, it's true. That have, that's a lot for bands in, in Britain. They never broke over. Here. And you were talking about uh, you, you were talking about all the thousands of glam rock bands before. Do you know the term junk shop glam? Yeah, that's what I was referring to. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have all those compilations and everything? Uh, yeah, I do have all those compilations. I, I, like, I got into that shit right when people were repressing stuff. Yeah. Like when Iron Virgin record came out like eight or nine years ago, I remember I bought it. I, I love that shit. So, and you know, touring Europe and stuff, I've able to get a lot of those seven inches, those singles from some of those junk shop and glam bands, but it's pretty expensive. Yeah. But yeah, I love all that stuff. Yeah. When we did the episode with Jeremy Asbrock about the first cheap trick album, I talked about how Hello Kitties sounds exactly like a junk shop clam song. <laughs> I even oh, brought totally. up Iron Virgin <laughs> when we oh, were really? talking cool. about that. Song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, Iron Virgin, that uh, song Rebels Rule, yeah. was produced by the same producer, I think, that did Jailbreak, the Thin Lizzy album. But right. on that song, he doubled the drum kit. And so when I was making the last Spiders record, The Future and What It Used to Be, on that song, Gypsy Rose, we actually doubled the drum kit, just like they did in Iron Virgin. So there's a little trivia for you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Now... One of the things that the three of us have in common is a love for a great band, Cheap Trick. And I know that Cheap Trick is a band that you absolutely love. I know that when I mentioned that we did a Cheap Trick podcast in Nashville, your eyes lit up like your eyes, you know, got so huge there. (laughs) And he's like, dude, I'm down. So I want to talk to you about what Cheap Trick has meant to you and your music. And do you feel like you can find Cheap Trick in what you do? Well, I will say this. They have been a a template and a home base for me creatively to always go back to to kind of base everything I do off of. When in doubt, what would Robin Zander, what would Rick Nielsen do? To me, they're the perfect combination of rock and power pop hooks. They're the perfect. Seamlessly, they can go from a really rockin' verse into a massive melodic chorus. And so... That takes skill. I I love it. The highlight of my musical career has been playing Surrender on stage with Cheap Trick in Atlanta. That was amazing to me, a a dream come true. So I was watching a rerun when I was really young. Like It came on late at night, um, that movie, Over the Edge. And I I remember the scene where the kid ran upstairs and and listened to Surrender. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the Sex Pistols. I didn't know who it was. I was so young. But I've always loved them. But that song, I remember as a kid, just like hooks me. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I just love them so much. They're the perfect template. And since you started out kind of like in the punk frame of mind, do you see much of punk in what Cheap Trick was doing, even pre-punk in a way? I think that's why I was attracted to them when I was young, because it had that kind of snotty, punky element the same way you know like a song like suffragette city by bowie mm-hmm. it sounds very punk and has that attitude so songs like he's a whore on the first record that's fucking punk as hell uh to me attitude wise and rick Nielsen just uh, did not give a fuck when he played i don't know if you've seen videos of him mm-hmm. he just he was wild as pete townsend he didn't give a fuck dude it was awesome <laughs> yeah we always talk about that about how especially live 
That's why Tom Peterson needed 12 strings on the bass because he has to play the whole song while Rick just, <laughs> you know, slop, no slop, noodles and goes insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, in the studio, Rick Nielsen is perfect in live. Oh, yeah. It's like, watch, watch this. Right. You know, Rick's been a really good supporter of mine and, and uh, really great and championed me and, and talked to me and we've exchanged some emails and it's just truly inspiring that the internet can help you kind of be in touch with your heroes. Like speaking of Silverhead, Michael DeBars, me and him have a little buddy friendship on Instagram. And I don't think there's be another era where I, I could go back and kind of talk to my rock and roll heroes from a bygone era. It, it's amazing. man. Yeah. So what are your favorite cheap trick albums? Several. I look at cheap trick. It's weird. Like, do they have a quintessential album? I don't think so. You know, ACDC would say it's back in black. Uh, Stones, maybe Exile. Tom Petty, maybe um, Damn the Torpedoes, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if Cheap Trick has that quintessential album. I have to look at them from multiple albums. And I did a bunch of stuff in Classic Rock Magazine. Like I wrote up my top 10 favorite Cheap Trick songs. And they all span from different albums. But they toggle. But currently, the last couple of years, I think my, my favorite record has been Dream Police by them. Just because songs like Voices and Need Your Love and uh, Way of the World, they were kind of like simmered everything down to just the leanest they could be. But the first four records, five records, I love. You know, songs off like one-on-one, -on -one, like If You Want My Love, that's like one of my favorite songs. That could be a Slade song. Mm -hmm. And they have stuff all through their career that I, I really love, like songs and things. So they're just great writers, and they never really stray too far. You know what you're going to you know what you're gonna get. Super Beatles influenced rock and roll. So I don't know, man. Well, it's interesting that you say that there's no quintessential single Cheap Trick album because in many ways, like like my two favorite Cheap Trick albums right now are the, the ones that are both named Cheap Trick. The original one from 1977 and then the one yeah. from 1997. I love those. They're great bookends. and They are. It's the same damn band. And then by the time you get to the second and third album, there's a bit of a difference in attitude from the first album so in some ways to me the most quintessential cheap trick album is the first cheap trick album but none right. of that stuff wound up on budokan right right so then do you say well how can you have budokan be the quintessential cheap trick album if it doesn't have anything from the other quintessential cheap trick album and then you've got dream police which is almost like they distilled the essence of the first three albums and Budokan yes. together. Like they squeezed yes. it all out, put it in the juicer and bzzz, there you are. That's exactly. Yeah. They went down to just the, the leanest they could be like, this is them. See my thought. I was a fan of the first record forever. That was it. And then as I progressed as a songwriter, I just think of some of the other records, the actual craft of songwriting, not attitude is amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh um, yeah. Like just some of the ch chord changes and melodies and stuff like on Heaven Tonight is just unbelievable. You know, there's songs off later records that, that I do love, but the core, the first five records it, are just, you know, Cheap Trick, Heaven Tonight, In Color, Budokan, Dream Police. Those are really like, and self-titled, those are like the meat and potatoes of, of my influences. Mm -hmm. Well, if you had a top three songs, what would you pick? Well, I will say, I don't really care about trying to be obscure because I do know obscure music. I just know what makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And my favorite song in the world probably is Surrender. Mm. And my whole career, I've been wanting to chase a song that makes people feel like that, that's half as fucking good. One of the amazing things about that song is that it doesn't even rhyme. Well, the chorus? No, the the whole song, it, it, it does not rhyme. If you really think about it, it's just like, a, a, I don't know, a free thought kind of thing, even though there is a lot of thought that was put into it, right? It doesn't rhyme like most songs do, you know? No, no, you're right. I'm just reciting it in my head, you're right. You almost have to talk it out, and you go, holy shit, that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> but it seems like it fits so well. I can't think of any other song that does not rhyme 
that feels like it does like that does. Yeah, it says mommy's all right, dad is all right. We just seem a little weird. Surrender. Yeah. Nothing rhymes. <laughs> Nothing rhymes. It's amazing. And Billy Joe Armstrong's talked about that. So many other people have talked about that, but it's it's almost like something that in your head you've always heard it rhyme. Doesn't at all. It's weird. Yeah, well, you just opened my eyes. That's what we do here. I have well, I think it's that. uh it's just it's still a great melody though, you know. It's such a simple song. It seems it's one of those songs that seems like it probably wrote itself. Like Rick could have just sat down and wrote it straight through. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just well, kind of came you, to him, you know? I'll tell you what fucks you up is there's three modulations in it that tricks the shit out of it you don't even notice. Mm. Like multiple key changes that you don't even notice in there. And when I played it on stage with him, he had mentioned the guy from Pearl Jam or the sound guy got up the week before. I think their sound guy told me that he missed all the modulations. And I was like, I'm going to nail these motherfuckers. <laughs> nail the motherfucking modulations. So, I'm going to nail them. <laughs> nail them hard. But it, it's just amazing. I mean, that, that song literally could be sung by a five-year-old, you know, on the playground. You know what I'm saying? He, he Literally, it you can sing everything. Yeah. It's just something that's so sing-songy. That it almost sounds like a childhood limerick that you know the first time you hear it. Somehow you know it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he says, Mommy's all right, Daddy's all right. Everybody loves saying that. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> so Surrender is one of your top three. Yeah. I love Way of the World because I love how it goes from major to minor. And uh, they make you hold on to that giant uh, hook in the second chorus. I think that song's super overlooked off Dream Police. I fucking love that tune. Mm-hmm. Definitely one of my favorites. And Robin Zander just makes that song, too. You know, he can just go from one... He could adjust his voice to the different parts so well. That, that's what I mean. They go, they'll go from, like... If you have a song like Stiff Competition, that's like ACDC as fuck. The, the Who. <laughs> yeah. And it's rocking. And the next thing you know... They could go into the super melodic hook, and that is really difficult to do as a songwriter the way they do. I think they're the best at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then what's what's the uh, third? I don't know. I'm just making this shit up as I go. I'm just thinking of songs I like. There's too many. Like I love Southern Girls so much, man. That's like because I'm from the South. That's something I remember doing a lot of drugs and partying and always turning <laughs> that on when I was partying. Southern Girls, you got nothing to lose. If you want my love, there's so many. Come on, come on. Like all the stuff off those first couple albums. If you put Surrender on uh, In Black and White, that would be the, my favorite record for sure. If you just put that song on there, that would be the quintessential album. Mm-hmm. I think. They, they had it too. <laughs> they could have put it on there. Yeah, they put Surrender on Black and White in color or whatever. That would be the fucking jam. There you go. Because you got Hello There, you got I Want You to Want Me, you got Caroline, you got Downed, which is fucking amazing. And then Come On, Come On, Southern Girls, that would have been their biggest record, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Sorry, you can tell I'm getting excited, buddy. That's all right. That's <laughs> we, we welcome that. You are a, uh, you're one of us, you know what I mean? So Yeah. What was that album they put a couple years ago that had like uh, Blood Red Lips and stuff on it? That was a jam, too, man. Bang Zoom Crazy Hello? Yeah, that had some jams on it, too, man. What do you think of the last couple Cheap Trick albums? I dig them. I'm guilty of not really listening to much of new music. I do scan through them and listen to them. But, like, um, you know, I've got some of the greatest hits. And, uh, honestly, this is one of my favorite songs is Tonight It's You. Mm. That is one of my favorite hooks. The production's a little 80s, but it was in the middle of the 80s. But the way that hook hits, all I want is a place in your heart. I mean, that is massive. Such a good hook. So maybe that's one of my favorites, too. Fantastic. Would you be interested in recording uh, that song for us? I achieved from Standing on the Edge. Yeah, if you want to. Fuck, man. If you <laughs> listen to that, you know how hard that would be. <laughs> if, you, if you buy the studio time, I'll do it. <laughs> no, I was mean with like an acoustic thing in your room there, but uh, uh, maybe, maybe you know. I can do a lot of cheap trick. Um, yeah, but like 
if you look on like All Shook Up, Stop This Game, that's an amazing song. Yeah. Amazing song. So they just, they did have like hits to me all throughout the 80s and they got kind of overlooked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love what they did in the 80s. The John Brandt albums, I love all of them. We were talking this last week about Rick Nielsen's songwriting, Tuck, and uh, how, you know, the guy that you saw running around on stage like a maniac and just not seemingly giving a fuck about what's going on but somehow in control at the same time is the guy who is able to write those really insanely subversive things. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't think that it was Rick Nielsen, the guy who was married and had kids it was it was that crazy person that he is on stage that wrote those lyrics do you know what i'm saying well i can give i'm pissing right now sorry i can give you a little uh, <laughs> you can hear it i'm sorry hey, this is I the first this is a band, cheap yeah. talk first yeah this is a first for the show so <laughs> well you told me if i did anything it would pick up and he said the guy from kicks was touching all his trinket and they were rattling it <laughs> off and so I know you probably hear piss hit water. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Um, as far as Rick Nielsen's songwriting goes, I can give you an insider tip on probably most songwriters and rock and rollers. And I shouldn't be talking about the esoteric nature of rock and roll, but I will say this. Rock and roll is the illusion of not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. These people that act like they don't give a fuck, they really give a fuck. Yes. I guarantee Rick Nielsen spent 15, 20,000 hours writing songs. He might have tried to write it for six months or a year. He was probably walking around with notebooks and napkins with scribbles all over him, obsessed. And, and his personal life probably suffered because of it, because I know mine has. So what do you tell me is that the same guy who was a normal guy that was married and stuff? Do I believe it? I say yes. I can believe it, because he was got to be a release on stage. And behind closed doors, I bet he was hyper-focused, man. Super fucking focused. Well, there was an exhibit, I don't know how many years ago now, in uh, Rockford called Rick's Picks. And he just had drawers full of exactly what you're talking about, which is stationary from hotel rooms and et cetera, with just lyrics scribbled all over it. And he had saved all of it, too, you know, for 40 years or whatever. And plus he had saved everything else. I mean, this this exhibit at this museum in Rockford was insane. But yeah, exactly what you're saying is just lyrics scribbled on anything, you know, tons of it. Yeah, I believe it, man. I mean, I guarantee you Bowie was obsessed. Have you ever seen a picture of Mick Jagger without a guitar in his hand? I mean, not Mick Jagger, Keith Richards with a guitar in his hand. Almost every picture you see, he's fucked up as hell with a guitar. He's playing (laughs) because he's trying to write songs, man. Yeah. It's the only thing holding him up. Dude, if I... (laughs) If I, you got, yeah, songs are the only thing holding him up and his guitar. You know, if I didn't, wasn't able to write during this quarantine and be creative, I don't know what I would do to keep my mind occupied. If you want to write songs that mean something, something's wrong with you. You have to be fucked up. So a little mentally. So, and that's why I think I'm attracted because I can see all the little nuances in, in Cheap Tricks music and the writing and the chord changes that I know it was a true labor of love, not just some shit slapped together. Mm hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's tell people where they can find you on the social medias. Just to, We'll remind them at the end of it. But right now, check out at Tuck Smith on Twitter and over on Instagram. You are Tuck Smith Official, right? And do you have a website? Yeah, Tuck Smith in the Restless Hearts dot com. And I got a merch store with tons of merch. And I just released a three song EP that I was supposed to be on tour with the Australian band Airborne right now. It was canceled. Mm, yeah. uh, and so I had these EPs printed up for it. And now I'm selling them and donating a portion to uh, charities for uh, personal protective gear for health workers on the front line. My mom is a nurse and she's been wearing the same mask for days a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. So just trying to give back, give new music and stuff. And, uh, you know, supporting artists now through merch and tipping through live streaming is more important than than fans and, and friends think it is. It it's really gives a lot of musicians hope and makes them feel loved. So that's a way to support musicians during this. Absolutely. I actually bought two of those. Thanks, man. Seriously, I, I love what you do. We're, we are huge fans of your work with the Biters. We're going to be huge fan of your any solo stuff you do and for what you're doing is 
Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. Thank you. One of the last great rock and rollers. Seriously, this is stuff that you can't get anymore. Like we were talking earlier about how there's no radio anymore, right? What is passing for radio doesn't seem to really care about embracing the new and making sure that it gets out there. And that really, I feel, led to the death of FM. You know what I'm saying? Because they quit developing new artists. Like there was a time in the 80s where it was more important to keep playing Leonard Skinner than it was even Poison or Guns N' Roses or whatever. You know what I mean? There were a few bands that got through there, but for the most part, they wanted to play Sticks again and again and again. And nothing wrong with Sticks. I love Sticks. I love all this stuff. Right. But you've got to keep the door open and keep the people coming in. Otherwise, it all dries up. Right. The Biters were a huge shot in the arm, right, BJ? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Best band of that decade. Best new band, you know, that came that came around. So, yeah, it was hugely important to have a great band like that playing that kind of music at that time in America, you know, an American band doing it. Because, you know, we were dying for it. We were we were waiting for somebody to do it right. And so, right. yeah, it was really important when the Biters came along. I, I will say this, um, because I, I'm really into musical history and, and, and waves and trends, and it seems like that the early 2000s was when those bands like Jet and Wolf Mother and uh, the White Stripes and Darkness were coming out. And everybody's mm. like, there's going to be a new wave. It never, it never came. Um, no. Well, that was the wave, but people didn't make room for it. But it never came again. There was, everybody's like, there's going to be another wave. And we we're in 2020. And they're starting to be a wave. But most everything now is very blues-based rock. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know there's a place for it. But like, not everything has to sound like a church service or a bacon cheeseburger commercial. Um, so the stuff for like the, the power pop and, and the glammy stuff and the big hooks. I, that Dude. I can promise you every record label in the United States turned down biters and over 40 turned my record down. And I had a hit fucking producer on board with fucking smash songs. I went to one label and they told me uh, a major label and they said they really liked it, but was I going to incorporate elements of trap and hip hop drums into it? So people are really want quarterly revenue streams. And if it's not trendy, people really don't want to take a chance on it. Um, but I can't help what I love, and I can tell you what I'm doing that is not popular right now. Yeah, what I don't understand is the the younger generations are still into the classic bands. They still like ACDC or whatever, but they just have no interest in a new band that's doing that same style of music. And I don't get it. I really I just think, don't understand. I think they might have interest if they knew about it. But right, if you go to like Spotify is the new radio, and if you go to some of those rock playlists... There's going to be some actual rock and roll stuff, but a lot of it is going to be very 90s throwback, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, like mid-90s stuff sounding things. And a lot of it's going to be pop and rap that isn't urban sounding. So it won't have any guitars, but it'll be rap and stuff. So the definition of rock and roll has, has really, really changed um, from what it used to be. Yeah. I can't go to bed at, at night knowing that uh, I incorporated stuff that I didn't like into my music, like just because mm-hmm. rap or heavy, have being heavy or 90s is hot right now, I don't think I could do it. I'm not yeah, like, money driven. Like my, my daughter was really loved the band 21 Pilots, and I took her to the show, and I do like some of their songs, and they're hugely popular. They're but good, they, good songwriters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the guy's really talented, but that band intentionally, they, it has to be intentionally, they put no guitar in their music, not in any song. There's no guitar in yeah. any of it, even though it seems like it would lend itself. Have yeah. to have a guitar. Yeah, well, that's the kind of music it. They do some rap in it, but the guy's talented and he writes really good melodies and i just don't understand why they would just purposefully s- reject the guitar because that seems like what they're doing mm-hmm. you know i don't i think there's a place for everything so yeah. i would never shit on anybody doing anything uh, true no it's, I, I i appreciate what they're doing but it's just yeah. a weird choice to make i just to me. think that guitars are associated with at this point whether you like it or not like 
chauvinist prancing around the stage in the late 80s uh mm. that's cheesy as fuck when people when you ask a common person off the street what they think rock and roll is they're gonna think of like 1989 pink spandex like just super cheesy yeah like chauvinistic inflated overacting uh and that's just the kind of con bad connotation rock and roll has on it nobody's gonna go rock and roll is big star and the stooges and t-rex Nobody's going to say that. You're an average person. Yeah, it's fucked up. So to me, that's my thing is to try to do rock and roll where it's not. I don't have my shirt off drinking a gallon of Jack Daniels trying to sniff cocaine off strippers assholes in a hot tub. <laughs> I'm trying. I I like rock and roll that means something that has a, a purpose to it and, and that has a message and that I spend a lot of time on it and it means something. Um. And I don't know if that's sexy enough for people, but it, I do know it's real, and, and that's important to me. Well, I want to send people to TuckSmithMerch.com, TuckSmithMerch.com, and right now you can get the What Kind of Love EP signed by you, Tuck Smith, for only $10. It's insane. You get three songs. You get the two singles off the new upcoming album. Looking for Love and Ready for War, right? Plus another song, The Glitter and the Greed. And we're going to play right now some of this song. This is this was your first single off the album, right? What Kind of Love? Yeah. So without further ado or further ado, here is Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts with What Kind of Love. And you can get that song for only $10 signed from this man right here, Tuck Smith, <laughs> the, the guy who 
peed in front of all of us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> At TuckSmithMerch.com, and you can get buttons and other cool stuff there, T-shirts, all sorts of swag. He will be your hookup, right? Hey, man. I know I got a little riled up in this interview. You've been pulling pulling a bunch of shit from me, but I just want to say all joking and bullshit aside, I appreciate you very much, and I really appreciate your support, and I appreciate everybody's support very much. Well, I'm going to tell you, brother, this this guy right over here that turned me on to you and the biters, he, he loves you, I love you. If we can do anything we can to get the word out about Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, we're your boys. Thank you, guys. And you can come on and talk on, we have three different shows that you can come on. We've got Cheap Talk, we've got Pop, we've got Rock and or Roll. How do you like that title, huh? I love that. And we can talk about your favorite albums. We can talk about anything you want. If you want to talk about that Status Quo album with BJ, he would love to have you on his show. Right, BJ? Oh, I've been asking him for years. <laughs> oh, you're a Status Quo freak. Oh, I love him, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, you should check out my podcast because... <laughs> what is it called? Rock and or Roll. Um, I'm down to be on it. We can just talk about rock and roll in general if you want. Exactly. Yeah. Any, any, I would, you know, anything you would want to talk about, um, if you wanted to pick a playlist or just talk about a certain band or favorite records or anything like that. Yeah, I'm down, buddy. Of course. We are totally here for you. Thank you. So our social platforms are your social platforms. So let us know anything you need. I, that means a lot. And tell Ricky I said hello, send him my love. He was very nice. He came on the show. Man, he's a great player. I will. And uh, I'm really glad to see you two have found each other, right? I am too. I'm very blessed with my band, like I said before, man. They're great guys, great players. I have to say the tip played. They they played the pre-party for the second Rocketpod Expo. We were so disappointed that Ricky wasn't in the band anymore. <laughs> so I blame you for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a whole another story to that. Yeah, right. there always is another story, but and we'll have to tell some more of those. But coming soon, when the world wakes back up and we get everything going again, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, and Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. It's going to be a fantastic bill. Get out there and see them. If nothing else, get out there and see Tuck. He's going to be the first one kicking it off. So that's a rock and roll party headed your way. You can get the brand new album, Looking for Love, Ready for War. It'll be coming out soon. But right now, you can get the EP available at TuckSmithMerch.com, signed for only $10, right? Where are you going to get that? Tuck is just a great guy. As you see, he's completely real. What you What you see is what you get. He does some great stuff online, whether you want to check out his live shows that he's been doing. He's been streaming some live events. He's done some cheap trick covers. He's done some cool stuff, some Tom Petty stuff. He's just You never know what you're going to get with Tuck, but it's going to be quality stuff, right? Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. So once again, those socials, you can be found on Instagram at TuckSmithOfficial, right? And over at Twitter, you can be found at Tuck Smith Music. So the debut single, What Kind of Love, off of the album Looking for Love, Ready for War, coming out soon. We don't know. It got put on hold. But you're kind of like a panther, man. You're just walking around back and forth, ready to be unleashed on the world. I, I know. I felt like I'm about to bite this shit out of uh, Joe Exotic. He yeah. let me out of the cage. I'm going <laughs> to bite that motherfucker. <laughs> Well, I, I really want to thank you. I, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I really, really enjoyed doing this, and we managed to make it work. It was a long time coming, but it sounds so sweet, uh, to paraphrase Cheap Trick there. Thank you for coming on our shows today. Yeah, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Peace. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap trickin'.